This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is David A. Goodman, writer and consulting producer for Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Warp 5 on Trek FM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5. I'm your host, Brandon Shamutella, and joining me, as always, is the ever-pungent Brandy Jacola. As always, except for last week, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> when I was barfing up a lung, yeah. Yeah, I'm here. Excellent. I apologize, I had to use the word pungent at some point, because... It's all the time in this episode they keep talking about pungent food. Not that you're smelly or anything like that, Brandy. I just wanted to... No. I am smelly in a good way. In a good way. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, we have got some wonderful guests today. Uh, we're not going to do any of our normal feedback that we normally do in our podcast at the beginning. We're going to save that all for next week um, because we're not quite sure how long of a discussion that we're going to be having uh, during this discussion here today. So we're just going to jump right in and introduce our special guest stars. Joining us all the way from from sunny California, Dan Devey of Gaze in Space. Man, I love the fact that you said it right. Good job. (laughs) Excellent. Love it. Thank you. (laughs) Excellent. Right on. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, Super excited to uh, be chatting with you guys and uh, really happy that you asked me for this particular episode because there's like so much to dissect and, you know, lots of uh, lots of thoughts on this one. So I'm excited to uh, to see what you guys think and and uh, how things go. Excellent. Right on. Uh, Also joining us from Canada, the Great White North is my fellow hoser, Barry DeFord. How are you doing, buddy? Oh, pretty good. It's it's fall here. It's definitely not California, but uh, no, it's nice to see the change in leaves. So Excellent, yes. We are looking forward to having you on the show as well. You both are first-time guests here on Warp 5. Um, now, normally, again, we do special introductions asking people their history, uh, but we just want to jump right into the episode. But uh, So today, for those that, haven't, that don't know what's going on, didn't catch it from the pungent reference at the beginning here, we're going to be talking about the Season 2 episode, Cogenitor. And this is a very powerful episode. It's a very strong episode. It's a very important episode in Star Trek. 
And I'm going to start off, uh, before we get into the discussion, I'm just going to give like a disclaimer and stuff that we, uh, these are sensitive topics that we may be talking about here. Um, and I messaged Dan ahead of time here. And there's one thing that I notice in my life and my line of work that I have. I don't deal a lot with gay people. I don't deal with transgendered people. It's not something that I, I purposely seek to avoid. It's just, I just don't deal with it. And if I deal, if I'm working with gay people, it's not something that comes up because it's, it's not relevant to most average interactions that I have with people. So I'm not well versed on these subjects here. So I messaged Dan ahead of time and I let him know, you know, in this episode, I'm going to be talking about maybe ideas and questions that I have. And I'm asking these questions, not out of, out of malice or anger or anything like this. I'm just out of ignorance because I don't know the answers. You know, and having these episodes and having these discussions are ways to educate people. And I hope the listeners understand that when they listen to this discussion today, because I, I don't have all the answers and I'm learning. And that's why I wanted to have somebody who can speak a little bit more on the subject than I can, because I just don't know. So, Dan, thank you very much for joining us today. And I, I appreciate you working with me and I appreciate your understanding uh, for my point of view coming into this discussion here. Absolutely. I mean, like, uh, you know, like we said when we were uh, when we were instant messaging, I think there's only the only bad question is the question that someone doesn't ask mm -hmm. if you because that's the only guarantee of you not learning something new. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like people who people who are genuinely uh, just don't understand something and just want to understand it. There's, there should be no offense ever taken on the other side from those questions because you want to know. And the more people who learn, the, you know, the more that ignorance is relieved, the better people get along, the better they understand each other. And the more we can come together and, and see, you know, and not, focus on the things that make us different, but the things that make us the same. Mm -hmm. And if you're still not sure about like, well, how do they tie their shoes? Well, let me tell you, just like you. But you know, it's not a dumb question because maybe we have a special technique. You don't know, but now you do. So the next time, you know, you hang out with a bunch of gay people, you'll be like, they tie their shoes just like I do. So I think it's a, I think it's a great thing. And I, I hope that conversations like this, this happen as often as they possibly can. Well, I, I disagree. I, I think that you tie your shoes a little bit more fabulously than I do. <laughs> I might give you that. Oh, yeah, we do do the bunny ears thing. Not everyone does that. That's true. That's true. Touche. Uh, so the episode that we're talking about here, Cogenitor, Season 2 of Enterprise, um, I, one of the first things I want to, uh, we're going to kind of work our way up to the big discussions here. The first thing I want to address in this is I'm a big fan of Star Trek Generations, and one of the reasons why I love Star Trek Generations so darn much is because of the lighting of it, and this episode, the lighting of this episode really reminds me of the lighting in Generations, the dinner scene that uh, that Captain Archer is having with this, with this Vissian, the lighting that's coming in from the window, this yellow lighting, it's very kind of dark in the room and whatnot. I, I don't really have much to talk about besides acknowledging it and how much I love the lighting of this episode because of the reminders of Generations. Did anybody else think of Generations when they were watching this movie? Did anybody else notice the lighting? 
not not uh, not really. I mean, I noticed the lighting, and I just was like, yeah, it's because they're beside that gigantic star. But uh, I didn't. Generations didn't come to mind, and and good on you uh, for liking <laughs> Generations. Too many people crap on that movie, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't think of that when I was watching it. But now that you mention it, you're you're absolutely right. The whole uh, it. it definitely had a different uh feel to it because they were super close to the sun and they were acknowledging the fact that you know what especially when you're real close to a star it's going Mm. to come in through the windows and make things look different but um yeah good catch good catch Mm -hmm. well brandy knows that like generations is my favorite next generation movie i love it it's my it's my star trek movie from the theaters because it was the first one that i saw in the theaters so (laughs) Oh, I feel so old. <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay, so now we're going to talk about first contact without charging weapons, as they mentioned in the show. We've got this alien race, the Vissians, and one of the parts that I really love about this episode is this alien race and having a friendly encounter with a friendly alien race right from the get-go and how you could tell that Archer is like, kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop when he's having that first conversation with them because this is not the experience that they've had. And I kind of love that about this episode. And I love the interaction that they have. And it's even mentioned, I'm sorry, I don't remember the guy's name, the one-armed man from uh, from uh, from the... What? No, Jakar from Babylon 5. That is the first thing you should think know. about, Andreas Katsoulis. He's the one-armed uh, man How about from Commander Bible. Tomalak on TNG? <laughs> no. I just think this is this is true Trek like in in terms of it, you've got a an, a super excited captain who's you know just his whole sole ambition is exploration and discovery and then as a larger overarching plot there is the question on the human condition so like I would just say like for for this episode specifically quintessential Trek mm-hmm. yeah excellent Brandy I don't know what I really have to add to that. I I love this opening scene and just the expressions on Archer's face. And not only that, but the rest of the bridge crew all going, all waiting and waiting. Like, oh, 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 you, you want to help? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, okay. Um, you want to come over for dinner? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I like this. It's just that whole attitude is just perfectly done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you could tell that they were all thinking to themselves, this is what I imagined this mission to be, like nine times out of ten. But it's really never been. And now that it is, it's weird. Like, mm-hmm. this, is, this is odd. I mean, I hope this happens more often, but this is kind of odd for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think they played that really well. Because I can't remember any other time in Star Trek where it's happened like this. Can you guys think of another instance in Star Trek where there's been this friendly of a direct interaction? I mean, we had the the other one that I can think of. Um, I can't remember the episode, but there is the Enterprise episode where they they meet those those religious people, and Flox has that great encounter with them watching the 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 comet going by or whatever it was. I can't even remember which episode that is off the top of my head right now, but I think it's a season one episode but that's the only other time where i can think that people like really hit it off right off the bat in this kind of way yeah like even even 
even tried and tested alien contact tends to be a problem in even with your like your allies and stuff you know he's got andorians later trying to stab him and whatnot and yeah this first group of uh aliens i can't think of a single episode where things go this smoothly in that mm-hmm. respect mm-hmm. yeah i think there were um, i don't remember the uh name of the episode but there was that time they visited the planet that and everything was all good with uh relations until porthos peed on a tree <laughs> does anybody remember that one then things kind of went south but yes. uh, before Porthos peed on the tree, everything was, was cool. Mm-hmm. I forget which episode that was. Yeah, that would have been a season one, too. I forget, too, because there was a couple of episodes that they dealt with that alien race. That was because uh, they had the one with That the... was the Night in Sick Bay, the one you're talking about. That oh, one was okay. Night in Sick Bay, yeah. He has they to were... apologize. They were also right. in Voxola, right? Because uh, yeah. they, they were the ones that gave them the white alien, the white. Cretacens? Is that Cretacins, what they're called? yes. Yeah. I remembered. One of the things that Star Trek does best is it does take a look at, at social issues and it brings them to the forefront while using an alien species. And these these Vissians have something really interesting with them and in that they've got this third gender, this third gender, which they call the cogenitor. And they they I'm guessing that cogenitor is the name for the gender because they've got they've got three of them. They don't really address it in any other way. They don't really call themselves males or females. But we've got this third gender here and talking about this third gender one of the issues that i had going into this and one of the discussions that we're going to have later on is is like about the rights of this individual and they talk about this third gender being only three percent of the population and when you stop and think about that that doesn't sound like a large number of people right like three percent is not a large number so i wanted to sit down and i actually calculated out because we don't know how large of a population the Vissians are we don't know they stick to their their own solar system. They don't go too far out. They they don't travel too far. But even if we said that they had seven and a half billion people, which is just a little bit more than Earth right now, I just picked that number. And I actually went through Wikipedia, and I actually calculated out how many of our major centers, of our largest cities for population in the world, would it take to get to three percent of the population? Honestly, I expected three. I expected it to be the top three cities because some of the cities have such a large population. But I actually had to get to 19 cities before I came to 3% of the world's population, which was 225 million people. Wow. So when you stop and think about it for a second, so if the Visians have the same population as Earth, there are 225 million cogenitors which is a lot of people. <laughs> so yeah. now because I did the work for it, I'm also going to list those 19 cities just so people <laughs> kind of understand, okay? So, and I was I was kind of surprised with this because I'm also not very aware of the populations on these cities. And there's not one English-speaking city on this list, right? So, you know, for, that's kind of an interesting, that was an interesting point that I found. So the list of 19 cities was Shanghai, Beijing, and I hope I'm saying these cities right, uh, Lagos, Istanbul, Katachi, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, Mumbai, Moscow, Sao Paulo, Kinshasa, Tianjin, Lahore, Delhi, Jakarta, Dongguan, Seoul, Foshan, and Tokyo. So that's that's chronologically by the amount of people that is the top 19 cities in the planet and it took that many cities to get to 225 million people. I was kind of mind blown by that. Uh 
I'll leave that open to you guys to discuss here. So that's how many technically co-genitors we may have. What do you guys think about that? I'm glad you did the math because I'm very bad at math. Math's and hard. I, too, would have expected it to be a smaller number. Um, but it's, you know, when you start to really look at the, the vastness of our planet, it's very easy for us today because everything is you know, so, so much of what we deal with on a day-to-day basis are global things. It's easy for us to think like, well, you know, yeah, the planet, whatever, it's, you know, it is, but it's freaking huge. And the amount of people that are on this planet is, is staggering. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, glad you did the math because I wasn't going to, but um, I think that's an important fact for us to have at the beginning of this conversation when we start to get to the more uh, to the issues of their rights and how they're treated, it's it's important for us to be able to think about exactly how many persons, you know, we're we're talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I. I think of like, you know, what do we have on Earth as a sort of a representative? And I think of bees because like flowers oftentimes need bees to, like you know, root around for for the pollen and then go to another uh, plant and do the same. I mean, unless unless like someone goes around with a Q-tip and does that, um, there's really no other way for these plants to reproduce. And so I, I kind of think of that and, you know, just how much of a, uh, a show flowers put on to, to bring bees to them and stuff like that. So I find it interesting that they actually treat this cogenitor basically, you know, almost with disdain when, you know, there are so few of them. And, you know, they kind of make mention that population control sounds like it's a thing. But, you know, there, there are so few of them and yet they treat them so terribly. My question is, is what happens when they have a cogenitor? Like, do they just sweep the whole pregnancy under the rug? Like, what goes on there? Yeah, those would be interesting things. Like, see, you brought something up there. I don't think that population control is an issue. I think that they are limited because of the amount of population. And it's going to be something that we'll get into later Um I want, I want to kind of save that one yet because there's a couple other topics that I want to bring up first. But it does remind me a lot of the Andorians and how they're portrayed in the novels, right? So I'm going to leave that as a tease there, and I'm going to bring that up in a little bit. Um, but the it is very interesting that this, this 3% is as large a number as it is. But I do want to talk about the fact that there's a third gender. And as I expose myself to social media and reading and listening to podcasts and, and reading people's tweets and reading people's opinions, there are, there are some things that I still have trouble with when it comes to this. Because on Earth, we have, we have two genders, right? And this alien culture has a third. And that is something that, that is not on Earth. And while we have people right now who are you know, identify as something different than what they were born with. Or as as far as I understand it, there are people who identify as like a non-gender at all. Like these are really foreign core, foreign concepts that I myself have an extremely difficult time wrapping my head around. So, um, Dan, I wanted to kind of open it up to you and talk about this as people on earth, because the only other comparison that I can ask, and I wish I could find this number and I, I've searched this number because I've wanted to find this out. I would like to know what the percentage of the population of our planet is that identifies as LGBTQ. 33%. 
Hi, everyone. I reached out again to Barry after the recording of the podcast to try and find the website that he was talking about uh, where there was a poll conducted and 33% of the people identified as LGBT. Uh, So if anybody knows where that is, if you could please post it in the Babel Conference link. Uh, Barry was able to find it again. He did send me another link, which I will post in the comments of that thread uh, that had it identified more as 4.1%, which and it says that the portion of American adults identifying as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgendered increased to 4.1% in 2016 from 3.5% in 2012. These figures drawn from the largest representative sample of LGBT Americans collected in the U.S. imply that more than an estimated 10 million adults now identify as LGBT in the U.S. today, approximately 1.7 million more than compared with 2012. So again, these are large numbers. They don't sound like large numbers, but they are very large numbers. So uh, please continue the discussion in the Babel Conference. If you can find any more information, uh, just find the thread for this podcast. Now let's get back to the discussion. How do you know that number, Barry? I read it and I can't remember where. I'll have to find the link. I would love to know that because I've looked and I've not found it anywhere. And I'm flabbergasted with that number because that number seems so huge. And that's 33% of the entire world's population? As far, well, I think it was a Canadian study, and they said that approximately 33% of the Canadian population, um, you know, exhibits exhibits a, a tendency towards somewhere on, on um, you know, the LGBT spectrum where they would, they would consider themselves lesbian, gay, bi, uh, trans, in that sort of sense. So... I'm going to I'm going to throw this out right now as gender isn't a binary sex is a binary and gender is actually a social construct. Right. And, and it, the the reason I I asked about whether it was the whole world is because we have to acknowledge the fact that there are still places in the world where admitting to being gay is a crime and you can right. you will be killed or stoned or or something else horrific. Um so, yeah, I just wanted to make sure we didn't gloss over over that fact. 33%, though, sounds pretty good. I, I know our numbers have been growing simply because people have begun uh, – they're less afraid, they've learned more, and they're more accepting. So it's a safer time for people to be honest. Um, I still think there's a huge number that is unaccounted for because people are afraid to come out and, you know – Sometimes we'll spend their entire lives without coming out. Um, yeah, yeah. See, I would have thought that the number would have been closer to 3%, and that's why the writers chose that number, right? So I'm, I'm really surprised with that number, 33%. But I want to talk about that more because I, I don't understand the difference between gender and sex. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's interesting. When... With regard to this particular episode, when I was watching it, the whole three gender thing, in my mind, I saw it as uh, an allegory for surrogacy. You have the male who provides the sperm, you have the female who provides the egg, but the female is not built to carry, because they never say who actually carries the child. So I thought the way they were biologically put together was the male puts in the sperm, the female gives the egg and it goes into the cogenitor who is able to actually give birth to a child the way that a surrogate would. Um, okay. I mean, Tripp asked that question like, okay, well, after the baby is born, who raises it? And the cogenitor says, you know, the male and the female. And he asks, well, why? You're just as important to 
the creation of this child. And that's a big issue in, in surrogacy because you're asking the, the person who gives birth to this child oftentimes to never be in that child's life or a part of things at all. And regardless of whose genetic material it is that created this, this being inside of the surrogate, there's a connection. And it's a connection that is forced closed oftentimes, like it happens with the cogenitor. So that was kind of how I saw trying to figure out what the process was, because they were very clever to not explain it. You know, when Phlox starts to explain it, Trip says, I, I don't want to know. And Phlox gets excited. He's like, but I have pictures. He's like, ah, no, I don't want to know. <laughs> uh, but that was kind of my take on how it all worked. I don't know if you if you guys, you know, were thinking of some other process but that's how I kind of reasoned it out in my head, how it would physically work. See, I think I thought of it a little different in that, like what Flock said in that the cogener probably just provides an enzyme. And I, my interpretation for that is that's why the cogenitors were pushed aside and just sent along to other couples after the fact is they just, they get one thing from them, they get what they need, and then the two of them continue with the pregnancy on their own. The cogenitors no longer needed, they're gone. But, you know, it would almost be more powerful if this cogenitor is simply used as like a what's the word what's the incubation chamber basically for a baby and that's how they're treated you know like that would be a a whole nother powerful layer to this story if that's what turned out to be the case right yeah because you feel like with their level of technology i mean they're significantly more advanced than humans at this point why wouldn't they simply be able to extract the enzyme from cogenitors and have the couple, you know, take a hypo spray. There you go. You got it. You know, I feel like there there has to be a long-term involvement that the cogenitor is involved in. Otherwise, you know, why not just make it a shot? Yeah, I think that the, that's sort of similar to seahorses uh, without without the third uh, individual involved. The male um, fertilizes the female's eggs, but then the female deposits the eggs into a pouch into the male, and then he gives birth to live seahorses later mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. So it's it. I, I mean, I would I would say that's probably the most logical thing. And I don't know. I, I speaking of of that though, I, I think it is kind of almost impossible what Trip asks by like, well, oh, you should have a part in this you know, beings life that you're going to help bring into the earth. But if there's only, you know, 3%, um, that's, that's a lot of Christmas cards. (laughs) Brandy, did you want to add here? We keep going and going. I want to make sure you get involved in this conversation here as well. I'm sorry. (laughs) I I don't know that I'm qualified to say anything about this. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I do agree with what Barry said about um, gender being a social construct, because I've always felt like whether you're male or female, that's your 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 sex is dependent upon what your equipment you're born with. But gender is not the same thing. So um, and I I don't have any experience having that kind of um, discovery process in my life. I do identify as female. I have always felt that I was a female, so I am a female. And I don't have any basis for what it's like for someone to find out I am not what I was born with. I am something else. Or I don't want to be classified as male or female. And actually, this reminds me, this is 
way off topic, but I, there is a comic book. Oh boy. Uh, put on my nerd glasses here. Uh, there's a comic book called Dead Man in the DC Universe. I'm not going to explain why he's Dead Man. Let's just push that aside. But there is a non-binary character in a miniseries that they did some years ago. Uh, and they just identified as they. You know, mm -hmm. they those were the pronouns. They, them, there. And you, just from the drawings, you could say, okay, they kind of look male, they kind of look female. But in the great scheme of things, what does it matter? What does it really matter? You love whom you love. And this particular other character was married to someone else, but really good friends with this non-binary person. And it was just, there wasn't any big deal made about it. There wasn't any, oh, hey, look, we're being progressive. It was just there. And I just appreciated that. Mm -hmm. Like, it, I, it may not be relevant, but I just, that's just a a concept that I just don't understand. And I know that if I'm, if I don't understand it, I know there's a couple other people, there's at least two other people that don't understand either. Right. You know, so. Oh, but... I mean, I think, I honestly think it's something that, uh, because I don't fully understand it because that's not been my experience. My experience in life has been just as a plain old regular gay white guy. So, you know, it's actually quite a limited, uh, experience to have within the LGBTQ plus community because it's, you know, the community itself is so much more diverse and, and interesting, I think, and fascinating um, that I've just now with the gays in space events have been able to finally explore. I've been able to reach out and meet members of the community that I never would have encountered otherwise because you know i travel in my boring regular old gay white guy circles um but because of gays in space i i met a person named uh callie wright callie is the host of a podcast called the gaytheist manifesto and she's and amazing she's, uh, she's <laughs> in absolutely incredible she's a, a trans woman and I, I almost wish I had said, you know what, you don't need me on this podcast, you should ask Callie, because she, she is able to, she is able, just in her relating her experience and the stories of her life, what she went through, the things that she struggled with, she's able to make it comprehensible to someone who has not been through something similar. And she's able to do it in such a confident selfish i mean she knows who she is this is someone who struggled with identity for a long time but has come to terms with it has embraced it and is a thousand percent sure of who she is uh, I, I don't know many straight people that can make that claim um and I feel like my eyes have been opened to the complexity of the, the gay community, especially in terms of trans individuals because of my friendship with her. She gave a speech at the, uh, the big party that we just did in Vegas during the Star Trek convention that, uh, I mean, it brought half the room to tears and it was just so incredibly touching. She she referenced the Next Generation episode, The Outcast, and 
gave a speech that yeah, had literally had half the people in the room, a couple hundred people in tears. After she finished, Bob O'Reilly, who plays Gowron, was so moved by what she said that he told a story about a, a gay friend of his that he had in his youth that he had never been able to share with anyone before because he was never in the right place for it. And being able to tell this story about his friend brought him to tears. It was, I, I mean, it was an incredible, it was an incredible experience to see how her story affected everyone else. Because everyone else, even if you can't identify with confusion about gender issues, you can absolutely identify with the feelings that an individual experiences while struggling with it. And I think that's really the key to understanding um, the a trans perspective. I don't think it's so much that you need to know this fact and this fact and this fact. I think, I think it's when you hear a story about someone who has struggled with these issues, you realize that it's all the same thing that we all go through, you know? Um, and I think that's really the way to begin to understand someone who is, who is quite different than you are. Um, that being said, I'm still learning. I, I am still learning and, and I hope I never stop because there, every time you think like, okay, well, there, you know, that's, that's the last of us. That, that's the last type of us. There's another one. That's why now it's LGBTQ plus because we've realized when you truly embrace all of the possible permutations of, you know, sex and identity uh, and gender, there the list is incredibly long and it keeps getting longer because people are finally not afraid to share who they truly are. When years ago they, you know, they would never, it would never be be talked about. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, so that's that's my diatribe on that. Sorry, that was a little long. Mm -hmm. That's that's that 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 says a lot oh. of a lot of what um, I was thinking about. Kind of like just all the little pieces there. The the first bit is is for context, and she's a bit of a controversial character. But there's a YouTuber I've been listening to for a while. Uh, her name is Natalie, but she goes by the YouTube name ContraPoints. Now um, she's not a family friendly. Um, YouTube channel by any stretch of the imagination. She gets us into, into some very deep stuff, talks politics as well. So she's definitely not someone I would recommend if you have any sensitivities, I guess you could say, to anything political or, you know, kind of raunchy-ish humor from time to time. But she does, um, you, when I first started watching her, she hadn't gone through her transition yet. And so I've been following her for about a year and a half now. And now that she is able to express her inborn nature in a more realistic way, uh, in a more real way, um, she's really blossomed. She's really funny. She's got good, good videos, good, you know, good content and stuff like that. So, um, I would recommend if you wanted, to, if anyone did want to see that, I mean, obviously it's not for, for everybody, but it would be something I'd recommend just really quick. Um, there's also a band called Against Me, and the lead singer is a trans woman as well, and she sings a lot about her experiences. So, you know, obviously I'm a cisgendered male as well, so I'm I feel comfortable in the gender that I that I um, exude. 
But um, both of those people are really good at sort of explaining how it feels not to feel that way and to feel something different about yourself and not knowing how to express it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to you know break break down and talk about and realize and ask questions for and you know the the frustrating thing with social media is there's so many trolls out there you know and there's so many people who don't want to know and just want to exude hate and you know there's some there's times when I see something and I I'm afraid to ask because you know asking that question like I, I don't know I just I don't want to come off wrong I don't want to come off like I'm I'm I've seen instances where people are like, look, I'm not here for your answers. If you want to know, you need to look for this for yourself. And me, I would rather talk to somebody and ask them directly because, you know, that's how I learn is with interaction with people. I don't learn by reading. I learn by interaction, you know. So I'm almost afraid to ask those questions to get those negative type of responses where it's like, go look for yourself kind of that, thing. That's kind of how Trip acted though, right? He he needed to see this. He needed to actually step in. Uh, to the situation and and I appreciate that you know like a lot of people give him some flack for being kind of pig-headed or I think they even almost assume that he has a problem with the three genders and he's like no I don't have a problem with the three genders I have a problem that this third sex I I guess they get it wrong Enterprise the writers should have said sex the entire time they should have said sex but I'm guessing you know they're on TV and if they say sex a whole bunch they might get uh, the wrong the wrong idea Um, but anyways to, to my to my point is you know he he had to see he had to talk he had to to get his hands dirty and unfortunately yeah he flubbed pretty bad but mm-hmm. maybe that was necessary yeah so okay so let's move on to this here so i i've i've labeled this next topic the needs of the many the needs of the few or the one you know one of the, when people talk about star trek the the often quoted line is the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few but there are just as many examples in star trek where the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. And this this is an extremely interesting situation because we have we have a race of beings that needs this cogenitor to survive. So we weren't told as to what happens. Uh, like Dan said earlier, we don't know why this cogenitor is needed. We don't know what the cogenitor does, but the cogenitor is necessary. And the reason why I mentioned earlier talking about the Andorians in the novels is in the novels... Uh, they they latched onto one line that was said by Quark in one episode where the Andorians mate in fours. And so the writers of the novels did something really fascinating where they took that to mean that the Andorians have four genders or, or four sexes and four are needed to make a baby. And so in the novels, there's this whole um, population what's the word I'm looking for? Catastrophe that's happening in that the Andorians can't self-sustain. So they are, you know, they're, they're put into groups of, of fours to try and get the best possible result of like the best possible chances of having a baby. And basically they're forced to come home and have this baby. And one of the things that happens once Trip has taught this person, which nobody can, nobody can argue that what Trip was doing teaching this person how to read was a wrong thing to do. Nobody can argue that. We can argue with how he did it and how it came about, which we probably will, but simply teaching somebody to read is not wrong. Okay? But teaching this person to read and giving them the expectations of what can happen made this person no longer want to be in the role that they were in, want them to be removed from the situation, asking for asylum, which now is affecting a bigger picture 
in that let's pretend, for instance, that all of these cogenitors were taught to read, all of these cogenitors were, were given the option of doing something different, and what would happen if all of these cogenitors no longer wanted to stay on their planet and were no longer available to be what they needed to be, and then this culture died out because the cogenitors are now not there? And I think that's a, that's a difficult question to ask, but it's kind of a question that has to be asked. Well, I think it's it's similar to the question that the South asked during the Civil War, which is, well, how are we going to, you know, have our fields? How are we going to farm? And how are all these things going to happen if you take away my slaves? You can't you can't do that. There's no way this can happen without them. And it turned out, no, it can happen much better and fairly and very successfully without subjugating another human being to make it easier for you. So well, I, I, I think it's a very similar, uh, a similar situation. If you give a cogenitor the choice of either being, you know, uh, of service to their race by helping uh, them procreate or living their own lives and doing something else with their lives, I, I think there would be plenty who would still opt to help their race continue and thrive. Mm-hmm. And, but I can see how the leaders of that society would look upon that as a potential catastrophe. We give them the right to choose and they don't make the right choice. We might all die, mm-hmm. but it's the kind of, it's the kind of thing where, you know, eventually you would hope that they as a society would come to the conclusion that despite the risk, it's what has to happen because what what's being done is uh, unconscionable and 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 selfish and completely unfair um and then they just have to deal with the consequences of that you would hope See, well i understand what you're saying i don't think it's the same type of situation as slavery because the work that slaves were doing can be performed by anybody Right. And they were simply taking advantage of people and forcing them to do the labor. They don't want to do that stuff. Where with the situation with the cogenitor is, from what we've been told on the show, birth cannot happen without the cogenitor. And that right, cogenitor is absolutely. I, I was necessary. thinking more along the lines of from the perspective of slave owners, they looked at it as you're taking away the only means I have of uh, making a living because it was inconceivable to them to think, well, I can just pay people to do this work who choose to do it. And, you know, the development of technology and machinery and and things like that, all those things I would assume were not in their, their, their brains at the time. And same with the cogenitor right now, the way society looks at it is, listen, we need them. They're a tool without them. We can't have babies. Well, maybe that's not true. Maybe if you didn't take that for granted, you would research ways of doing it without subjugating the cogenitor. Maybe you would put research into figuring out how to make it possible for just a man and a woman to have a child. But because they are so certain that they need that tool, that work will never be done and those questions will never be asked. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I was thinking. Right. Yeah. 
sorry, I just want to say for the listeners, I have read all the books and do know how that works out. I don't want to spoil anything, right? But some of the things that happened with the Andorians may have just been mentioned. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is a this is definitely a, a massive. Um, but what do we do now? Sort of scenario, Dan. Dan, that was that was really well put. Um, I think I think to build on that, it's the same way. I, I worked at a I worked at a historical park uh, in Edmonton, Alberta, called Fort Edmonton, and I got to dress up old old timey for for four years and basically play and get paid to do it. But you know the way people dressed back then or anything like that, you know sometimes we as old timey folk would be appalled at what we would see, and 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 I think that's what it boils down to is, you know, imagine imagine you know Brandy if you went back to the you know into eighteen eighty five Edmonton, Alberta, for some reason, and you showed up in a pair of trousers and said, "Anyone want to play a game of rounders and then you swigged a beer, people would literally faint in the streets they wouldn't know what to do with themselves they you know the first of all, like you're wearing trousers, of course, you'd never call them pants, and you would call your legs limbs and all that sort of stuff and and, and whatnot, but yeah, I mean that kind of a change is almost sort of like dropping like a cultural nuclear bomb. And I think that's kind of what trip does now. Is that important? Well, I think the other piece of this is the fact that it is sort of a class thing as well, right? As we are starting to find out gender is very fluid. Gender is very much a broad and never quite easy to pin, pin down sort of thing. It's sort of like a, it's like an electron. You, once you know where it is, it's moved somewhere else kind of thing. If we if we apply that, really, couldn't a cogenitor, you know, become an engineer or a captain of a ship or or you know build the rockets they use and stuff like that and live a completely average life where maybe you know they kind of get like a ping or something where it's like, hey, you know, we need you now because I think with there's such a small population, they definitely need that. But the way that this this alien race has managed to get this figured out is by just sheer subjugation. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not saying that teaching these people to read will make them not want to have the babies, right? Because there are plenty of women who want to be stay-at-home moms. They're perfect. They're, they've got an education available to them. They're able to learn. And on Earth, these, these women still choose to be stay-at-home moms. They still choose to have babies, right? I'm not saying that's the case. What I'm saying is that, like, even in the episode, they say, you know, we've got 3% of the population as cogenitors, and that seems to be the right amount for us to have our population growth and whatnot. Now, uh, now, I want to ask this question, and again, this is a hard question because I'm not knowledgeable on this, right? But I saw a, I saw a video on YouTube, and it was a really disgusting video, okay? And this video was um, talking about how we need to have a certain amount of babies born in order to maintain growth, and this was this video was clearly some type of white supremacist video saying that white people need to have more babies for growth, right? But you know when I when I look at this, I see that you know in North America our population growth isn't quite as big. Like do you, I don't want to sound stupid. I hope you guys understand what I'm trying to say here. As as population growth in other parts of the world, and I'm not saying education is the reason. I, I really hope I'm not sounding stupid when I'm asking this. Well, question. no, there's. I mean, there's. Uh, I think the. I think the point is that we don't need population to continue to grow more. Like there are 
plenty of folks around. We're mm-hmm. not in any type of situation where we need more of us. If and we have sustainability issues that- on the planet. We have sustainability issues on the planet. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to provoke the discussion here, and I hope I'm not coming off like a completely backward idiot here so well no i mean i think that i mean if like you said this was some kind of white supremacist group or or perspective or whatever they need they think they need white people to have more babies because of integration i I mean they are becoming the minority which absolutely terrifies them Mm -hmm. so they would look at it as a numbers game and that would be the reason that they would want there to be more white babies born. Mm-hmm. But, like, I mean, that they're idiots. They're just, you know, not, uh, not people that should be seen as any type of representation of humanity. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? I would, yeah, I would say that, like, just, just right there, you know, the concept of needing to maintain a certain level of, you know, genetic specificity, which honestly, like, you know, I think, I think that, um, that video, yeah, down vote. I don't like it. Um, I think it's nonsense and garbage, but I mean, it, it, it's indicative of an ingrained and fossilized culture. And I think even in our own culture, we have little ingrained fossilized things. I, I find it amazing because like I went to high school and graduated in 2001. And I remember the LG, the just lesbian and gay was such a big, oh my gosh, sort of thing. And I was just listening to uh, another podcast where where some people were, were were talking very openly about their you know them being gay. Oh right, it was this one uh, <laughs> that, that that it's just it's it's it is becoming more normalized, which is wonderful. But never forget that that there are these older elements within our own culture that I think we need to continually um, talk about, question, think about. And as our you know world does get smaller, I guess, and, and we start amalgamating cultures, we we start to encounter different ways people either express themselves or how they how they look, um, how they tie their shoes. All these different things definitely you know roll into a larger understanding of us, who we are. And I think that's kind of the bigger question that's being asked here is. If we got some kind of information that like threw us sideways, how would we react? Would we would we trip, or would we try to be more like um, like to Paul, who just basically just throws shade in every direction? You know, where where <laughs> well, do we? And there's also, I mean, I, one thing that I find curious is that when you look at the cogenitors, they are absolutely essential to the continuation of this race, yet they're subjugated and treated at like the worst that could possibly happen to them. The other side of the coin is if they had the same rights as males and females, that, that turns them into the most highly sought after individuals in that society, you know, and makes them so important and gives them a status above regular males and females. There's fewer of them. They're absolutely essential to uh, procreation. You know, it becomes a thing where, okay, now you're dealing with, you know, the highest bidder and only the rich Vissians could afford to pay a cogenitor to have a baby and, and all of that. But I just think it's interesting that simply by, by giving them the rights to be people, it changes the dynamic from the lowest part of society to the highest. 
they could be on either end of that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, now, something that you said there is that, okay, so the the Vissians don't see themselves as treating the cogenitors terribly, right? right? Because of the culture that they have in the society. It's us and our values as the viewers watching this episode. It's Trip as a human and the values that we place that see this as an injustice here, which is what provokes Trick Trip to act on this situation here. And we've got a situation of somebody, you know, possibly imposing their values on another civilization that in in a negative way. In thinking about the episode, I mean, it seems like an impossible situation for humans to be in because mm-hmm. you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. But I think I think had they looked at it from the perspective of listen, this is not what go, what's going on here is not right. You can call those human values, you can call them whatever, but it's not right. It's also not our place to change the, the way this society lives. But you're in the middle of a cultural exchange with these people. You're sharing technology, you're sharing literature, music. The thing to have been done would have been to go to the males and the females and say, hey, about this cogenitor thing, you ever thought that maybe they could be people and influence them to the point where they realize it's wrong what they're doing and they make the choice to change the way their society functions? Because then we're not forcing them, we're not changing anything, we're simply giving them the benefit of our experience and and our perspective. And then, you know, real change could happen. Trip did it so uh, casually and so just, well, no, you deserve to read, you know, it's a foregone conclusion, so I'm going to teach you. And Archer is is left with, okay, now she's been, uh, the cogenitor has been taught all these things. Uh, do I, you know, let it remain here on the ship or send it back? And he sends it back. Now it has a thirst for knowledge. It has an understanding of what it, what its potential is, uh, the potential of its life. And it's so much more than it had ever imagined that it dealt with it by ending its life. And that is, that's Tripp's fault because he didn't have a long game plan. Mm. His plan was way too short and, and just not thought out. Mm-hmm. That's the only place I feel that he miss, you know, made a misstep because he didn't, he didn't take into account the difficulty that the cogenitor would experience as soon as he, uh, they were forced to leave the accepting environment of humanity on the enterprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's also a very reflexive um, episode as well. I think very much in in the Roddenberry and tradition of being, you know, stuff happens outwardly in the show, but they're supposed to maybe just a little bit make you think back because they mentioned the word keep an open mind like four times in the episode, and it's like it's like a standalone sort of thing. Like Flock says it. Uh, Tucker says it, um, and then I forget. There's two more times you hear it, but it's an interesting sort of thing that I've, I've watched the episode a number of times now. But my thing is, is you know, we feel bad for the cogenitor, and and Dan brings up a, a, a good point that that trips definitely at, at fault for for you know 
not knowing what to do. He zigs when he should have zags, kind of bumbles into the whole situation. But I think he kind of maybe bumbles into our lives as well. And, and Brandon, you've you've been you've been very forthcoming in, in sort of saying where you're at with it. And I think that's what this episode's designed to do is it's to say like, okay, you feel bad for the cogenitor. Okay. What if your best friend of 25 years comes to you and says, I'm trans, I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Like, how do you react to that? Like, and, and that's sort of how the Visians react. But yeah, like, you know, it, it, I mean, as much as you can celebrate it, that's definitely going to take some transition, yes. right? It's definitely going to take, you know, every, when, when, a, when an individual and what I've sort of found, and this is again, I'm, 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 um, quoting here, uh, this is what, uh, the, the YouTuber I'd mentioned earlier says, um, transition actually everybody goes through it in your life right mm-hmm. your friends your family uh, the people you know and love and care for also have to go through a transition to fully allow for you to make that transition so you know i think the cogenitors are being treated really poorly because unfortunately yeah we're talking about ingrained fossilized cultures if someone comes out to you and says you know i think i'm i think i'm a fascist or you know like a white supremacist find them help immediately <laughs> that's a sickness they, they they need to be helped but uh, if someone comes out as gay or trans and stuff yeah it's it's high fives all around and and probably a cake of some kind but um you know it, you do have to understand that there will be there will be a transition for you as well right now while Okay, so again, like I, I agree that there's nothing philosophically wrong with what Trip did and whatnot. But there, I go back and there's a comic that I saw. It was like a, one of those cultural comics, and it had a picture of a woman in a hijab and like wearing her whole outfit, and then there was a white woman wearing a bikini, and both of them had the same bubble above their head that said, "Look at how they're a slave to their culture." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay, and so, like, I I question this, and I'm like, okay, so while, you know, people have a culture, and at what point are we, what point is it okay for us to impose our culture on other people? Yeah, that's, um, yeah, (laughs) that's the, that's the big question, isn't it? It's, it's, uh, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't, because, you know, most, I, I think most people in the world would prefer to be able to choose what they're doing. I mean, the, uh, you know, the, the white girl in the bikini, she's choosing to fit into that cultural norm. That's what she wants. And sure, we could also say, well, society is telling her that that's the ideal. That's what you want to strive for. But it's, it, she doesn't have to. When it comes to Muslim tradition in, in, you know, the orthodox sense, there's no choice there. You know, the woman shows up without the, the hijab and, and, and it, she's in trouble. I mean, it's a crime. And that eliminates choice. I'm sure there are some, I'm sure there are people in the world who appreciate the, the, the defined limits. And it keeps things simple. No, I can't, you know, I can't uh, become a teacher. I can't become, you know, I can't drive a car. So I know my limitations and I'm just going to live in this little space that I'm allowed to. I'm sure there are people who find comfort in that. But on the whole, I believe that human beings would rather be able to make the choice for themselves. And hearing about 
so many people who are not given that, your first instinct is to help them. Let these, what is wrong with you? Like, let us educate you on this and explain to you why women are just as capable of making choices as men are. Let, let's, you know, try to start a dialogue that hopefully opens your minds and expands them. And we're able to help these people who are in, uh, you know, living under horrific conditions. But, you know, we, that's so much easier said than it is done. And, you know, I, I, there's just, there's no easy, there's no easy answer to either interfering Mm -hmm. or ignoring because both have negative consequences to them. Yeah, I think I think interference is is definitely I mean, obviously, this this whole episode is a primer for the prime directive as well, right? It's a great, it has some great subtle hints. I wish there was rules that we could all follow, you know, like, uh, kind of thing when when Archer and uh, is chewing out Tucker. But, um, you know, I think I think about in, in history, right? Like, that's where we can always look back to this material historical events, right? Like, the British, the Americans, the, um, the French, the Dutch all came across the Japanese. And because they had a, you know, material value to them by, you know, by being just sheerly dangerous and also having the stuff they wanted, like silks and, and silver and stuff like that. Um, they allow the Japanese to continue with uh, the, the the tradition of seppuku or harikari, which is like killing yourself, right? Obviously, in Japanese culture, that's not a good thing anymore. It still happens more often, but back in those days, there wasn't any imposition. Whereas First Nations people, um, people of, of uh, Native uh, ancestry here in, in North America, um, there were a lot of those nations that were quite open and happy with people of twin spirits and stuff like that. And that got that got uh, residential schooled right out of them. So interesting how, how, you know, around the bed, we tend to definitely define our culture quite a bit and be the most, you know, um, judgmental, right? Because both both uh, the burqa and the bikini are sort of a display, right? One is a div- is is a fidelity to one's god and to one's family, and the other one is fidelity to, or actually no, it's not fidelity. Sorry, the other one is a um, is is a display, right? It's 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 a it's a type of display, either sexual or personal, is that woman's choice, mm-hmm. but that's kind of the thing, right? So. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, now I've bantered. No, it's fine. That, like, <laughs> there's no answers to these. Like, they're just they're discussion points, and and they're they're openings to dialogues, and they're openings to philosophy and thinking. And you know, Dan, you said something a little while ago that I wanted to address. Uh, actually, on a podcast that Brandy was recently on, so you had mentioned how tr- what Trip should have done. And while I agree that teaching somebody to read is not wrong, how Trip went about this was wrong. And, you know, Brandy, you recently did the Voyager two books on on literary treks. And in there, you know, somebody is fighting for the rights of holograms. And Janeway says to him, yeah. you need to, the, the only reason that, you know, um, minorities ended up with the equal rights and women ended up equal, with equal rights is because they had allies on the, uh, like, not minorities, not women, fighting alongside them for those rights for them. They couldn't do it on their own. They needed those allies to fight with them to get those rights. And here, that is exactly what Tripp should have done. He should have talked to the couple and said, hey, this is the possibility here. And then you strive to get those rights. Because, you know, what we end up in this episode is Tripp is lying. Tripp is sneaking around. And Tripp thinks he's doing just what Archer would do. 
And as I watch this episode, I want to ask you guys, do you think that Archer would have done something like this? Because I don't think that Archer would have done something like this. So uh, what do you guys think? Dan? Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't don't think he would have done what Tripp did. I think if he had been confronted with this aspect of their culture... I think his initial response would have been what everyone else's was, which is leave it alone. Just don't uncover that rock. We just met these people. We're getting along. Let's not upset the apple cart and ruin first contact over one issue that we are not nearly knowledgeable enough uh, to even, you know, put an opinion out there, let alone suggest um, radical change to this society. So I think he would have left it alone until the the co-genitor asked for asylum. That's the point when now now a cry for help has been has been sent out. And as a human being, I have to deal with that. I can't ignore that. That you know that possibility is now forgotten. Which I think is one of the reasons why he's so angry at Trip because he. Trip forced Archer to have to take a side. And I think being put in that position is what really pissed him off because he much rather, I think, would have been happy to just leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Something to be dealt with maybe later, you know? Barry, what do you think? Do you think Archer would have done something like this? I know. No, Archer Archer would have been a lot more, you know, as Dan said, just just a lot more diplomatic about the whole thing. He would have, you know, done done everything he could to express perhaps a bit of consternation over such a thing, but I don't think he would have you know, gone, gone so bullheaded, I guess is the best way to, to put it, you know, like we do that too, you know, like if, if, you know, if you came across a person who said, you know, like, you know, like, I don't know what, like just any kind of sort of slightly like, wait, wait, what, um, my my co-host on my podcast podcast is a vegan and so he has to kind of like gently bring that into conversations especially when about to eat with people because it's not like he's gonna like like swat um a steak out of their hand or something like that but you know i think everyone kind of becomes a little extra self-conscious and and all that sort of stuff so i think yeah like what trip does actually sort of kind of defies what we would consider to be normal human nature of like, Oh, that's interesting. And then moving on and being like later being like, Whoa, what the heck's going on here? Kind of thing. Like he just dives in head first. So I'm not too sure. Um, maybe there's a bit, a bit of something there, you know, where, where, you know, if you see something you don't like, make sure you know what you're doing first, because yeah, like unfortunately in our society, people um who have gender dysphoria and who who see themselves um you know as their inborn nature right so the dysphoria is not coming from inside being wrong with what outside tells them it's it's well sorry no it'd be just that sorry it, it's it's what's inside contradicting what outside is telling them and that's where they get that just dysphoria and a lot of those people do take their own lives so you know i think that's that's important to to consider that that we have to if we're on the outside, we have to be allies. We have to be helpful, but we also have to tread with it with a careful, a careful stride. Mm-hmm. And end an eye on the the long game. I think Trip was just looking so in the immediate present. He saw a problem that could be very easily fixed. I'll teach her how to read. You know, uh, I'll, I'll teach them how to watch movies and you know, you know, uh, 
be able to show them how to embrace life and all its possibilities. Like, well, that's great for today, Trip, but yeah. what about tomorrow and next year and 20 years from now? I think Archer, because he is more experienced and, and diplomatic, Archer would have looked at it as a long-term thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would have made the mistake of thinking that it was a problem that could be fixed in a day. I, I think uh, I think I think that's really what it boils down to is Trips the true engineer. He saw something wrong and tried to fix it immediately. He's like, oh, while I was at it, I fixed your culture too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's a great way of putting it. Because did anyone else find it interesting that Trip was so fixated on the cogenitor issue and situation that? he was really bored with all of the engineering talk. Like, here's this engineer showing him, uh, you know, a warp drive that is so much more advanced than their technology, and he's just not interested. He doesn't care. When normally, as an engineer, Trip, you would expect, would be like, oh, my God, I have to tell me all about this. How did you figure this out? How did you make this work? Blah, 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 blah. But he was so fixated on the issue of the cogenitor that everything else seemed irrelevant to him, mm-hmm. which I found uh, to be a very kind of strange thing for the character. Well, that's actually a very common, like, uh, uh, that's been established with him before, like in Broken Bow, when that woman is trying to get that baby, which I, I don't remember exactly, I think it's a Benzite or whatever, off of the breathing thing, and he's choking, and he's, like, calling out, like, hey, what are you doing? Hey, what are you doing? And right. Paul has to tell him what's going on, right? So right. He, has, he has gotten involved before when he sees an injustice or what he perceives as, a, as an injustice and whatnot. So, um, But he's not even sure what it is, if it's an injustice. Does this being have the same cognitive potential? Mm-hmm. You know, like, he, but he, and at the same time that he's like, well, this seems like an odd situation. He's being shown, like, the holy grail of engineering and warp drive. And, you know, I just find it interesting that somehow, for some reason, he fixated on the question of the cogenitor, mm-hmm. even though there was, you know, something far more concrete and and definite for him to pay attention to and you know i wonder if it's you know how we talked about them reacting to meeting somebody that didn't want to fight right off the bat was he looking for the problem was he trying to see what was wrong with these people was he looking for the fight and that's why he focused on it i you know i don't know what do you what do you guys think I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure about that one. I don't think. I think honestly, when I watch the episode, with the hindsight of seeing the series and whatnot, I think he sees his sister in this cogenitor. Mm. You know, like that's what I. That's what I see, and I know that she's not dead at this point, right? Like this is prior to the Zindi attack and whatnot. But I think that he feels a sisterly love to this person because this person reminds him of his sister. That's just that's a great point. That he uses her yeah, pronoun. And that is the one thing that he cares more about than than his job and, mm-hmm. and engineering is his family and the people he loves. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, there's there's a couple things I want to get there, but I do want to ask Brandy as well. I'm sorry Brandy that we we've kind of been dominating this conversation here. I'm really sorry. Yeah, here. I expected this actually. <laughs> Damn men. <laughs> No, Sorry. it wasn't that at all. No, I, it wasn't that at all. It's like, two guests? I'm not going to have much to say. <laughs> Brandy, do you, think, uh, do you think Archer would have done this? What do you think about Archer? 
maybe Warp 5 program Archer would have, but not Captain Archer. Mm-hmm. He would not have done this. He, If anything, he would have opened a dialogue mm-hmm. with the Vissians saying, hey, we noticed this, and hey, uh, we took a brain scan of your cogenitor, and they have the same cognitive abilities as you guys do, so maybe you might want to look into maybe treating them as people and not things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, he would, I don't know that he would have necessarily gone, the The discussion would have gone that way. Mm-hmm. But if anything, I mean, he would have, if he had known from Tripp's interference from that he'd taken a brain scan of the Vissian's uh, cogenitor and said, hey, this person has the same intellectual capacity as everybody else mm-hmm. that we've met so far. Mm-hmm. And they're not being treated fairly. Then, Archer could take that and say, okay, so here's what's going on to the Vissians and do with this what you may. Mm-hmm. But maybe, you know, they do deserve to have uh, some identity in your culture besides being there to have babies. And quite frankly, you can't tell me that a race as technologically advanced as that has cannot find some way yeah. of harnessing that enzyme from the cogenitor or whatever it is that they need and not requiring the presence of the cogenitor for however long it takes to conceive a baby. Mm -hmm. You can't tell me that it's not possible. Now, you can tell me that they're so set in their ways that they haven't bothered researching it, but if something happened where all of a sudden all the cogenitors learned how to read and they decided, most of them decided they didn't want to stay, now they've got the necessity to try and figure Mm -hmm. that out. So, but sometimes you have, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the biggest changes in cultures are because of forced necessity, where the thing that you always had all along, you don't have that thing anymore, and now you have to find another way to do it. Mm -hmm. And you do. Mm -hmm. People do. So, but I, I, no, Archer never would have just, you know, snuck around, sneaked around, however you want to say it. See, I I agree with that because like I watched I I didn't ask you guys to do this, but after I watched Cogenitor, I had to watch Dear Doctor, and I, I watched that again because that's the first real instance where where Archer is like faced with the Prime Directive, and you know what happened there when he made his decision. Now, while I think it's a different situation than this, and while I don't agree with Archer's decision in Dear Doctor, and that's for another podcast, I love that episode simply because I don't agree with his decision, and I think that makes the episode more meaningful. And, you know, the difference is that those aliens asked for help, right? And so we'll have to do a discussion on Dear Doctor at some point. Um, But also, I want to ask you guys' opinion on this. I also think Archer made the wrong decision when he didn't grant asylum to the co-genitor. And I think he should have granted asylum to her. Brandy, I'm going to start with you on this one. What do you think about that? Mm, this is such a hard question for me to answer. I know. Because <laughs> I, I, I understand the diplomacy of it, but at the same time, He had a self-aware, sapient, cognizant being asking for asylum and did not grant it. And to me, that just feels wrong. It feels wrong. I understand why he made the decision that he did, but I don't like it, and it feels wrong. And that's... I. (sighs) Unfortunately, we see stuff like this happening in our world on a daily basis. People asking for asylum and just being turned away. Mm -hmm. And I feel like as 
human beings, we have a duty to, excuse me, a duty, I have to say it correctly, to help our fellow man and women and children. How can you turn away someone who is trying to flee their country because they don't want to get killed by bombs? How is that a, how is that a thing? So, yeah, it's, it, it does bother me. I don't like it. And, you know, it was Archer's decision, but I, I feel like it's, it was the wrong one. Mm-hmm. Barry, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I, I think being that he and the captain hit it off so well, I do think that in this case, to allow the asylum, you know, or even to just say, no, we're, we're taking her, that's, that's final, um, I don't think the other captain would have necessarily gone to hostile lengths. I don't think he just seemed too happy and too, too kind. I mean, who knows? He might switch around and, and blow them out, you know, just throw them into the star or something like that. But yeah, no, I agree with Brandy. That was the, that was the bad, the bad choice. But I mean, again, in, in our society, the wrong choice does happen. And that's why we see suicide rates so high in, in people who, who are, you know, not being accepted for their inborn nature and for who they are. So again, it's a reflexive sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Dan, what do you think about uh, not granting asylum to the cogenitor? Well, I think that one really interesting thing, uh, one interesting choice that they made with the episode is that we don't know how the captain reacts to the suicide. We know that he he's on the line and he and he's angry. We we or sad. You know, we don't know is he upset because we influenced the cogenitor and you know basically we broke the cogenitor and now we have one less or is he truly bothered by the fact that he didn't see the cogenitor as a person and now, after the experience with humans, he realizes that they are people. And holy, I, I, it, I'm sorry it took the death of this individual, but now I get it. And maybe from this point on, he will be the one to push for change in his society. I mean, that's a, I think that's a possibility. That's an optimistic Roddenberry thing that could have happened because like you say he was in love with the humans he was enjoying the cultural exchange i don't think there was ever any danger of armed conflict he wanted things to work out so for archer i think that when he said listen we're in no hurry to leave spend a little more time wrestling over this man like don't you know we don't know what the time frame is like how long he thought about it but it seems that it was a decision that was arrived at fairly quickly. And because of how open the captain was to this exchange, I mean, there could have been a long discussion about this. This could have been something that he could have worked on. So I feel like unless we're talking about, you know, the passing of months and months and months, which it wasn't, you know, he gave up too easily. He, I think he listened to Paul and to Flocks, and in this instance, possibly because he was pissed off at Trip for forcing this situation on him, that he said, you know what, I'm going to listen to the aliens this time. And, you know, I, I, it's not what I want to do as a human being, but hey, we're out here, we're not on Earth, 
I'm going to listen to the advice of, of the aliens and, and just send, you know, send the co-janitor back. So, yeah, I, I think he handled it completely wrong. Not to say that he should have immediately granted asylum, but there was more that could have been done. I mean, he has faced and, you know, will in the future face so many more untenable situations with alien races. And he works at it to, to solve problems. It seemed to me that he just threw his hands up in the air real quick on this one. And I think, you know, I think it absolutely influenced how he he worked from this point on. Because when, when he meets the Orions, he tells them that he's not, like, slavery is not okay. And that's not something that they can condone. And he, if I'm, if I'm remembering right, he takes that stand. And it's like, you can't, no, you can't trade people. No, we don't do that. And that's a human value the same way that this is. But it was easier for him to take that stand on the Orions, I think, because this already happened. And even he probably realized that he messed up and he should have tried harder. And the good thing about that is that we really find out that it's the men Orions who are the slaves. Oh, it's all good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, this is a uh, this has been a pretty intense discussion. This has been a really good discussion here, and I really want to thank you guys for it. And uh, and it's great. I mean, it's it's hard, and I had a lot of crazy questions, and I appreciate your guys' support on it. Um, I do want to go around one more time, and and before I get your guys' information, I do want to ask if you have any final thoughts on the episode itself. Uh, Dan, we'll start with you. What do you have any final thoughts that you want to say? Um, I think that this was, you know, it's been said several times. I think this was a perfect example of classic Star Trek. It, it does what Star Trek does best, which is asks questions and explores humanity and uh, ultimately leaves it in the hands of the viewer to decide what would you have done in that situation. And, and I think they were so clever in the specific pieces of information that were left out of the story because that opens it up to what's your interpretation. You try to think about what the co-generator's role is, and it's just endless possibilities. We could talk about this episode for hours upon hours, mm -hmm. and for me, that's the sign of a really good show it's like reading Shakespeare you can read Shakespeare over and over and over again and there's always something new to talk about there's always a new aspect to explore and uh, I think this does it in spades mm -hmm. so props to co-genitor mm -hmm. Barry did you have any final thoughts on the episode yeah just uh, to echo to echo and also also um, internet high five to Dan on the um, the Shakespeare <laughs> reference for the episode there too I, I, yeah, it is. It's quintessential Trek because real, real quintessential Trek is timeless. And, you know, right now it, it's such a prescient conversation now. And like the uh, like the flip phone phone communicator and the self-opening doors, um, once again, Trek has managed to predict what's going to happen about 10 ish years ahead of its own time that that, you know, the big gender conversation is really starting to pick up now, finally. And yeah, Trek, Trek talked about it early, and I think that's really great. And it's it's good to look back on at this episode and gain some insights on the philosophies and stuff. And I'm hopeful one day we can still look back on it and go, wow, that was actually a problem back then. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Brandy, did you have any final thoughts on the episode? 
I have the same reaction to this episode that I do to Similitude in season three, which is I ugly cry at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not ashamed to say it. It's it just breaks my heart into a million little pieces because I'm a very sympathetic person and I am good at placing myself in other people's you know, situations and you know, thinking about what they would do and how I may or may not would do the same thing. Uh, it's it, a lot of what Barry said. It's just, it was very prescient of what's happening now. And there are quite a few Star Trek episodes we can point to throughout the pantheon of Star Trek mm-hmm. that have done this. And it's, I don't think Enterprise gets enough recognition for how groundbreaking that mm-hmm. it was. And this episode is a prime example of that. And I appreciate the discussions that it uh, engenders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but engenders? And I didn't really mean to use that word. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. I'm an English teacher. That was correct. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Because uh, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an English nerd. I'm a grammar nerd. My final thoughts on it is I think this is one of the most important episodes of Star Trek. And, you know, I, I've heard it talked about with... Um, you know, episodes like the um, the Outcast, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, and this one here, where they're like, they they were good for their time, but they don't quite get it right, and you know they're maybe a little bit too on the nose and whatnot. And I mean, like, I'm I'm sorry, but these episodes are important episodes for laying the groundwork for discussion because while there's a lot of people out there who have submersed themselves in LGBT culture and they know the terms for everything and they know what you can and can't do and what you can and can't say. Not everybody knows that. And these are important episodes still to this day as a launching point for people to ask the questions that need to be asked and understanding and and learning, you know, I mean, for all these people that complain that let that be your last battlefield is too on the nose and it's, you know, it was good for its time, but not anymore. Well then, I mean, there's still racial issues going on on the planet right now. And everybody should watch Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. You know, like, and everybody should watch this. Because I still have questions even after this for this discussion, for this cogenitor. And it it is one of the most important ones. And, yeah, a lot of people, you know, brush off Enterprise as, like, you know, fluff Star Trek. Not very good. There's, There's some really important stuff in it. And this is one of the episodes that I love. And um, I'm glad that we can t- discuss and I'm glad that we've finally been able to do a deep dive into this episode. And, and I, you know, I still don't quite know where I was trying to go. And I, that, that video that I brought up online, like I, I just thought of it off the cuff that I saw it. And I didn't really know where I wanted to go with that. So bear with me on that one. That was a big flub that I made in this episode. But I'm still going to leave it in, right? Because it's part of the discussion and it's part of the discussion that I had and where my mind was going while we were talking about this. Because these are... These are points of view that people have, right or wrong. They're discussion points and educating points. And Absolutely. And if I could just interject for a minute, I keep asking, mm-hmm. keep asking questions because that's, you know, communication is key. Once, once you know, you shouldn't feel like, oh, God, I want to ask this question, but I don't know the proper terminology and I don't want to offend anybody. Yes, you should absolutely take take great care in how you ask 
questions that are of a very personal or intimate nature when speaking with anyone. But I think an important thing for everyone to, to know, and as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, uh, look, there are dicks in our community. There are people who are just plain wrong about stuff. And there will be people that you carefully ask a question of who will, you know, be flippant about it or like, how dare you? Because there are bad gays. There, I'm here to tell you folks, there are a lot of bad gays. So don't be discouraged if you genuinely and, and, and caringly ask someone a question and they respond in a less than stellar accepting manner. That's their problem, not yours. You will encounter gay people who will appreciate your desire to understand them and they will not take offense to something that you say wrong because they know that you're coming from a good place. You're not coming from a place of malice. So the onus is not 100% on the straight people. It, it's equal. We, the, we as the gays, we need to be good about this discussion. We need to participate and we need to be understanding of where you're coming from. So please don't let a bad experience that you have with one of the bad gays influence your willingness to ask questions of more gays. And hopefully you come across the good ones who, you know, are going to respect you and, and actually thank you for, for taking the time to trying to understand how we feel and what our experience is, because that's incredibly meaningful. The bad gays may not get that, but I guarantee you the majority will. So please don't stop asking questions. Excellent. Thanks so much, Dan. Dan, please tell people where they can find you on social media and please tell everybody about Gays in Space. <laughs> yes. So you can find uh, you can find us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are at Gays in Space with three A's in gays, three A's in space. Uh, if you leave out an A, I don't know where you're going to end up, but it's not us, so I take no responsibility for that. Make sure you spell it right, three A's and three A's. Our uh, website is gaysinspace.org. Uh, we're a group that is has been traveling the country celebrating the fact that after 50 years, there are finally gay people on Star Trek. Uh, we It's been proven that we were, in fact, not a disease that was cured by the 23rd century. We survived, and we're there, and we're thriving. So we've been doing parties. We've uh, Our last one uh, in Vegas was our – no, not Vegas. I'm sorry. Trek Conderoga weekend was our 23rd event in just over two years' time. Oh, wow. And uh, along with celebrating, we're also advocating for the continued inclusion of LGBTQ plus characters in science fiction, uh, particularly Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Barry, tell us where you can find you online and tell us about uh, Politrex. Oh, yeah. Um, so actually, first uh, first thing I, I've got to say is um, if you if you liked uh, Dan Devey's uh, uh, conversation here, 
check out my podcast, Politrex, which looks at the politics of Star Trek. We actually uh, did a deep dive into um, LGBTQ plus fans of, of Star Trek, and Dan was kind enough to come on and just talk about his sort of Trek experience and everything like that. So I'll start there. But yeah, my friend and uh, co-host uh, Shashank Kavaru and I, we look at the socio-political, cultural, religious um, ethical underpinnings that uh, look at Star Trek. It's a very political podcast, so um, again, it's uh, you definitely know what you're getting yourself into, but um, we like the engagement as well, so you can find us at Politrex, both at uh, Facebook and on Twitter, and then uh, you can find me on Twitter at B-J-O-R-N-D-E-F-J-O-R-D, uh, Bjorn de Fjord, uh, on Twitter there as well, and you'll find a lot of either very Star Trek-focused stuff or very politically-focused stuff. Excellent. Thanks again, guys. Al, talking about one of the most important episodes of Star Trek is not the only thing we've been doing on the network this week. So please take a listen to this clip and see what else you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM. To the journey! I love that Barkley says he's lost himself in Voyager because I have been there, man. Haven't we all, Reg? Haven't we all? It hits a little close to home. It does. I'm a little bit like Barkley in some ways. I, you know, I have just a little bit of paranoia to me. Awkward? No, a little paranoid. No, I don't think I'm awkward. No. Okay, maybe, a, <laughs> maybe a little bit. <laughs> well, you said you're like Barkley. Awkward. Give me a glass of wine and I'm fine. Okay. <laughs> Sent the hall. Excuse me. Sent the hall. The six oh two club. Well, and I think that uh, there's even you know a a kernel of that conversation uh, reflected in when he is on. Uh, the, the airship with his dad and it's very interesting because Indy gives you know they give the, the two versions of the story where you know you were distant you didn't hang out with me you didn't do these things I didn't have a normal dad like every other kid and then you hear uh, you know Henry Jones Sr. say I never told you to wash behind your ears I never checked up on your homework I gave you all of the freedom and independence that you wanted and if you were to ask any kid, they'd say that's what they wanted. And then you find out, to speak to the point about fact and truth, that that's not necessarily what you want. You want involvement. You want connection. You want to be together. You want to be part of your family unit. And you want it to be cohesive. I mean, you know, at a, at a baseline, that's what everybody wants. Earl Grey. And especially, like, toward the end, when it's like, Jean-Luc, what are you and I doing just like voyaging around the galaxy by ourselves on this ship? <laughs> like it makes perfect sense to you, but it makes no sense to me, yeah. right? Just the two of us like on this giant ship. <laughs> well, like, when wow. it was just a small skeletal crew, you know, and she's still questioning. He's like, why do we have all of these rooms and quarters? And, and then Data just nonchalantly, well, we have... You know, we need uh, evacuation and we take diplomats around. Yeah. And like he's listing it like, well, duh, this is why we have it. And Picard's like, that'll be enough data. Warp five. Well, you remember it was like when it was 42. You weren't very reasonable then, were you? Uh, no, I was not. Exactly. I was absolutely not. I was yelling at a tree in my backyard. It was not a pretty sight. <laughs> all I Big Men in Heat is not a good idea. Oh, that sounds like a great band. Big <laughs> man. 
And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows on Join the Conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and a written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find all of our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from a website or grab the RSS link as well. And we would love to hear your thoughts on today's show. There is a lot to discuss here. I expect some comments on the Babel Conference, and that's where you need to go for the best way to get your comments into us. Uh, We've got a lot of conversations going on there. All you need to do is go to Facebook, type in Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field. It should probably be that very first option. And uh, you do have to ask to join, so just make sure you read all of the rules of behavior before you do that. But if you want to get in touch with us other ways, you can also send us an email, which is on our website at trek.fm slash contact. I can speak English. Choose to send to a show, choose Warp 5, and that'll come right to us. And you can find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. So, Brandon, when you aren't terribly worried about offending someone by a question that you ask, where can people find you? Uh, Nowhere, because I'm always worried about that. Uh, (laughs) I'm Canadian. (laughs) Fair. Fair. Uh, You can find me on Twitter, at Brandon Metella. You can find me up in my kitchen eating very pungent cheeses. You can Mm. find me here on the network with another show called Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek. You can find me on the uh, Fandom Podcast Network with my friends Chris and Tom. Uh, we talk about Alfred Hitchcock films on Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. And we are smack dab in the middle of Halloween H4O. My good friend Zach Moore and I, uh, Zach from Standard Orbit, we're doing a Halloween retrospective for the Talk Film Society. And I believe the episode that just came out, this airing of this, we just had a Halloween 5 come out. And Tuesday we're going to be covering both the producer's cut and the theatrical cut of The Curse of Michael Myers. And that's a pretty fun discussion with John Mills. So definitely check that out. And then please keep keep following on. Please watching because we have a lot of fun talking about Halloween H2O and Halloween Resurrection. So it's a really good podcast. And, and Zach and I are having a heck of a lot of fun over there. Um, I'm, I'm very excited because the new one's coming out. We still have two episodes to cover. We haven't recorded yet the Rob Zombies mm-hmm. So the Rub Zombie remake. So we still have those to record as of uh, this recording right now. Um, and I guess that's probably it. So those are the major places. I had a recent episode on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network uh, for my show Breaking the Waves. Only been one episode so far, but that's about electronic film scores. And I focused on the music of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And uh, Brandy, when you're not trying to learn how to drive a brand new starship that works on five axes of spatial orientation, where can people find you? Oh, dude, I'm going to ace that driver's test, let me tell you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brandywine12, Brandy with an I, 12 is the number. You can find me lurking in the Babel Conference from time to time. I try to get more active and then real life intervenes. <sighs> Gosh, real life. Uh, you can also find me from time to time on the 602 Club uh, when Discovery has new episodes again. I will be on Live from the Edge with my friend Bruce Gibson. 
you never know where else on the network I might show up. I do things and stuff sometimes. And I also have a podcast with my wonderful sweetheart, Dave, uh, called the Dark Corner Podcast. So you can find it on darkcornerpodcast.com. And it has swears, mm-hmm. so you have been warned. If you'd like to keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. Not pungent zone, patron zone. (laughs) It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these cheeses each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. I don't like pungent, strong, stinky cheeses. I like my cheese (laughs) mild. Marble. I like all cheeses. Marble, mozzarella, maybe some baby bell, cottage. You know, that's, that's my thing. So... I don't like cottage cheese. It's like eating vomit. Oh, I love cottage cheese so much. You know what I like? I put like either seasoning salt in it or garlic salt in it. It's so good. It's not the taste. It's the texture. You know, that's why my wife doesn't eat yogurt. Is because yeah, I can't, she I can't like do that either. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. That makes me go... Yeah. You want to know? I, I saw a funny shirt. We have like a festival here. Uh, it's like a, a cultural festival. There's like a Ukrainian pavilion, a Chinese pavilion. It's called Mosaic, and they have like 13 pavilions all around. And at the, I'm Ukrainian. And I, I regret that I didn't buy it, but they had a shirt, and it said, Garlic is the Ukrainian Viagra. <laughs> I'm like, I should have bought that shirt. <laughs> yes, you should have. <laughs> but I you didn't. Should have. Mm. Anywho. Uh, at this time, we would like to thank our wonderful associate producers uh, who support Trek FM, but they support Warp 5 specifically. We couldn't do it without you. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, we have Norman C. Lau, Floyd Dorsey, Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, Justin Ozer, Mark Flessa, Chris Trebuzio, and he contacted me and told me I said his name right, Jim McMahon, our new associate producer. Thank you guys so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Well, that's all we got for you this time. Next time, Patrick's back. Woot! Keep calm and boom on. pretty darn good wow yeah (laughs) it's uh i i was slightly trepidatious because i thought am i gonna have anything to contribute to this (laughs) so but uh it turns out i did have a bit so i was i i'm good i was just you know i had that slight fear of what if i say the wrong thing and then i told myself stop being stupid brandy yeah well that's like i i was sitting there thinking should i even delete that comment that i mentioned about that video and i'm like well no because what I said at the end, no. I'm like, you know, that's just where my mind was going while we we're talking about it. And while I didn't have a fully formed idea, you know, that's, you know, so. Well, 
And here's the thing. You know what it made me think of that you talking about that video? It made me think of Mormons because I live in the Mormon capital of the mm -hmm. planet. The center of the church is here. And what they do here is they get kids married as young as they possibly can and having babies before they realize they could do something else with their lives because they want they're losing members like you would not believe because this generation of millennials is going no no i'm not going to mm -hmm. do that because the church put out a statement that uh that they would not allow uh children of gay parents to remain in the church unless they denounce their parents and basically, I don't, I don't know what exactly they wanted from them. A written statement that they denounced their parents as and their lifestyle. And that was just like, oh, hell no. And there was a mass exodus when that happened. A lot of people just flat out left the church, had their records removed, everything. Mm -hmm. So it's just the way that they treat the LGBTQ. Q community is so backwards and so they they and they've been at this for years the whole get them married young get them having babies young before they realize that there's more the, to life than getting married and they can't have sex before marriage if they want to get married in the temple so all of these people being trapped in a marriage where they have no idea how to be you know sexual because mm -hmm. God forbid we educate people on that. But that that just got my train of thought going because that's what they want. They want those people born into the church because it's easier than converting people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Absolutely. Um, do you want to have that part in or not? Okay. No, hey, no, 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 no. I'm just no. saying because we could use that as like a way to come back in and be like, you know, it got more discussions. So that's fine. I won't put it in. If, if, if you want, actually, if you want, I'm okay with it. Okay. Actually, I'm okay with it. Excellent. And if if someone that I know uh, has a problem with it, then so mm -hmm. be it. But I don't I don't think anyone I know listens to this podcast. Besides Dave. Well, I, I don't have to put it in. So I was just thinking that's all because it was just we were just privately talking. Um, so yeah. You know what? It's okay if if you feel it's worthy of inclusion, then by all well, means. Well, I think do it's good it. because like then it, it, it well if my comment that I didn't think about quite fully forming in my mind and it ended up sounding really dumb provoked you know a thought from you and like a, another comparison and whatnot you know so i don't know i'll i'll see how it if, if it can edit it in white but if not then i won't yeah it, do with it what you will do i give you full permission to do with it what you will if you want to include include it fine because honestly i'm not gonna be worried about what closed-minded yeah. people think so. I'm glad that Dan was open, like, because I, I was a little worried. I'm like, look, I want, I, I don't want to pull any punches on this episode, because I think that it does yeah. the episode a disservice. Like, I want, I'm going to ask some questions that might not sound right, like, you know, and but they're, they're just thoughts, like, you know, like what I have to, I have to ask that question. What if, yeah. like, what if all of a sudden all the cogenitors don't want to have babies anymore? Well, now this society, where what's their right on that? All of this, you know, so we kind of had that discussion, which is good. So, because I think that's an important point that people don't think about. And well, okay, well, you know, yeah, you're probably right. They probably could invent a way in medically and whatnot. So, but oh. yeah, I can't believe with their level of technology that they couldn't figure that. Well, out. see, and that's the hard part with 
with Star Trek is that they write an episode. And I can't believe that a culture as advanced and communicative as that would, you know, have had warp technology for a thousand years. They're so smart. They, they're so cultured. They can remember things instantly. Would just be like, would have a third gender that they would treat this way. But... It, it, oh, I can believe it. I don't... I can't. I, That's the thing, right? I can. Yeah. I can believe it because... Whatever Star Trek is, it is a reflection of ourselves. Mm. And even if it's through an alien culture, because how many things in our history have just gone on as they were? Because, I mean, even with technological advancements, even with knowing that they could do better, they just didn't do better because it was just too inconvenient or what have you. I think that 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 would happen and could happen to a more technologically advanced society just as it could happen to ours. Because it's the nature of people Mm. in power. Crazy. Well, are we ready to do the closing on this? I'm so ready. 